a beautiful time of worship, amen? Somebody's bound to ask, and a few have already, if I appear to be limping, it's because I tried to be young again yesterday and uh, tried to go up for a, uh, a big old block in volleyball. And uh, I came down, and my ankle went one way, and I went the other way, and so here I am kind of hobbling a little bit today, but it was an epic block, all right? In case anybody wonders if I'm still competitive or not, yes, I, uh, I worked extra hard on that one, so uh, I have the proof right here. <laughs> it's good to be with you all today, and um, I just, I'm praising God for our worship team, praising God for the way they lead us, and... Um, some of those songs might not have been familiar to you. That's because they're brand new. They were created by our worship team. Uh, we are so thankful for their creativity uh, to Dr. Andrew Kashner and his ability to kind of put some things together like that. Thankful for Olivier and his leading in worship. And um, just a beautiful thing to see the team, the diversity of our team, and so thankful for them. So we can be grateful for that. Um, I'd like to talk with you today about, um, we're going to pick up a little bit, uh, we'll touch on this theme of Pentecost as I get into things this morning, but um, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the idea of friendship and how God is our friend. And he calls us such. Uh, in John chapter 15, he's speaking to his disciples, but by extension, he's also speaking to us. And he says, I have called you friends. And he and we talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week I introduced the idea that he knows us by name. And I told you the story of Abram and Abraham turning into Abraham and how God took Abram through a journey that lasted nearly over, well, well over 25 years. But from the initial promise to the fulfillment of that promise, there was a good 25 years in the mix there. And we talked about how sometimes as Christians we have to wait. God promises us some things and we're looking for the fulfillment of those promises and sometimes we're tempted to take things into our own hands. And so we talked a little bit about that last week. And today I'd like to talk with you about friendship from the idea of where does friendship start? And I've titled the message today Beyond Acquaintance because... I want us to think about not just that starting point, but what comes next in our journeys. So, let's start with this thought, and that thought is this. Friendships have a starting point. I'd like you to think about the idea that in friendship, we don't often meet somebody and instantaneously have a best friend. Now, some of you have a thought or an idea or an experience like that. I get that. But it's not the norm, right? It doesn't happen to everybody. Usually there's this period of introduction, and then there's this period of awkwardness, and then there's this period of follow-up, and usually over time you can look back, and some of your stories of saying, I had an instantaneous friend, are because you're looking backwards and you're forgetting all those awkward moments, right? Uh, truth be told, it takes some time to develop a friendship. And, and so, just for a minute, try to think about one of those friendships. Think about one of your best friends. Where did it start? Did you initiate it? Or did they? Did someone kind of set you up together? 
think about that moment, like when you first met or those first couple of times. What, it, what, what do you wish had happened? Think about some of those kinds of things. Often it takes that little spark, doesn't it? Maybe it's a chance encounter. Some of you have developed great friendships through uh, something that just happened in the spur of the moment. You crossed somebody's path at a coffee shop or even online. You sparked a conversation and who knows? Like friendships can be kindled in all kinds of ways, but it does take a willingness to pursue, doesn't it? It does take an investment. Friendships don't just happen without that investment, but they all do start somewhere. Now I want you to think about your church experience. Shift gears. For some, and I know there are some of you here today, you can never remember life without church. Some of you were born in the church, raised in the church, like that's all you've ever known. But that creates for those of us who have that experience, a huge blind spot. It's a huge blind spot. We don't really know what it's like to be a stranger in church. Or at least maybe it's been a long time and we've kind of forgotten what that really looks like. We don't remember what it's like to experience those awkward glances when you walk in the door and you're out of place. You're the one that doesn't fit, right? Uh, those where do I sit moments when I walk in the, the church and there's all these chairs and I'm like, whoa, I don't want to sit in somebody's space and who's sitting there and, and all of those. Or the who do I talk to moments, right? We, we kind of forget that it's, it's a little awkward being new to church. Or even worse, like you've gotten to know some people and you, you actually do become part of a conversation, but they're all talking about something And you know they all know what they're talking about, but you don't know what they're talking about. And so you pretend to know what they're talking about, but you're kind of on the outside looking in and you you feel really out of place, but they think you're a part of that. It's just really awkward, isn't it? Some of us have lost a sense of what that's all about because maybe this is all we've ever known. I want us to think about what it's like to be that brand new Christian. That first time that you walk into a church or that early experience of conversion. There's a desire. There's an eagerness. Like something's happened in my life and there is something exciting going on and I want to plug in. I want to be a part of something. But now imagine, and maybe you don't really have to imagine, What would your story have been like without somebody welcoming you in faith? Imagine walking into church and sort of feeling out of place, feeling like you don't belong, feeling sort of isolated because all you've ever known and the ways that you've always lived were in opposition to the church. In fact, your newfound belief is still so new as to find a lot of what goes on inside the church a little bit weird. Where would you have been without that invitation, that hand of welcome, that warm smile, that invitation to show you around the simple things like where's the bathroom and where do I take my kids and all of those kinds of things. That first invite to a small group or to an event 
first opportunity to really sit down with somebody and share your story? Where would you have been without that invitation? Where would any of us be without a hand of friendship extended on our behalf? You know, I was thinking about, as I was writing this, I was thinking about our experience of coming to New Hope. We came back in 2004, and we were in transition. We weren't sure where we wanted to land. We had just arrived from Chicago, and our family was in transition. Where are we going to go to church? And, of course, I had grown up in the Free Methodist Church, but I wasn't sure that there were any Free Methodist churches that I wanted to attend in the Rochester area because my experience in Olive Branch was so different. It was such a different environment, and I wanted for my kids and for our family to have something very similar, and, but we thought we'd try. We, we came, we visited New Hope, and it was good. It was a good experience. It wasn't like our experience in Chicago, but you know the difference that was made within one or two visits? The, the pastor, her name was Linda, many of you remember her, she came and she greeted us, she welcomed us, and very quickly, and she had a really easy way about her. Very quickly she learned our story and the common points and she and her husband had a very similar story to my wife and I and she invited us to get to know her and come and meet with her and talk with her and share the story and we did and we sat in what is now my study upstairs. It was her study and um, we talked and she just kind of let us tell our story and it was a very relaxed environment and you know when she was done with that the words that she said to us she said you know I don't know where you're going to land but at least for now just know that you can be here and you can rest and that's what we needed to hear and she just welcomed us with this open hand of just friendship and just rest there was no expectations she didn't want to plug us into this ministry or that ministry or get me to lead anything or Julia to lead something it was just Come and rest. We wouldn't be here without the hand of Pastor Linda. And of course, over the years, I've tried to pay that back. And now as pastor, I certainly try to pay that back. And I've noticed many of you do the same thing. And we have a wonderful culture at New Hope of welcoming people and being open and embracing different people. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when people voluntarily extend that hand of friendship. It's not a duty. It's not something that we talk about and say, hey, make sure you do this or that. It's, it just comes. It flows kind of naturally. Today we see, and I'm going to point us out to a couple of individuals in Scripture. I want to introduce you to a couple of people. Uh, the names are Ananias and Barnabas. And uh, I'll also introduce you to Saul because I can't not introduce you to Saul by talking about Ananias and Barnabas. Um, It's going to be an interesting story, but I would like to start out with this introduction by saying, I don't know that we today would know who the Apostle Paul, started out as Saul, who the Apostle Paul was without Ananias and Barnabas. Think about that as we work through this. Of course, some of you know Paul when we first meet him in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, whatever, we're going to kind of work our way through Acts chapter 9. The scriptures will also be uh, on the screen in front of you as well. But um, when we first meet Paul, his name is Saul. And uh, we meet Saul kind of standing in the, the background a little bit by 
while a, a new believer, a strong convert, his name is Stephen, is being stoned. and He's kind of standing in the background and he's just admiring the work of the stoning. That's when we meet Saul. And then in Acts chapter 9, we find out that Saul has now sought the approval of the, the leaders of the Jewish church, the Jewish synagogues, to go, and he wants to go to Damascus, and basically what he wants to do is round up all the believers in Damascus, and he wants to arrest them, and he wants to bring them back to Jerusalem and try them for being believers. So that's how we meet Saul. Saul is a persecutor of the church. While he's on his way to Damascus, God calls him out. God shows up. Jesus shows up in the present and, and uh, so bright it knocks him off of his donkey and he falls to the ground and Jesus and Saul have this little conversation and Jesus is like, you don't know who I am, right? And Saul's like, well, who are you? And I'm the one you're persecuting. And Saul's like, wait a minute, you, you are real? Like, you're, you're, this is you? Like, it doesn't say that in Acts, you won't read that, but you cannot imagine, right, what, what Paul, what's going through Saul's mind at that point in time, like, what is happening to me? What on earth is going on? That's why we meet Saul. In fact, he is now laying on the ground and Jesus, in this vision, stops talking to him and he's, he stands up and he's blind, can't see. And you can imagine he's not only blind, but disoriented, right? Can't see, disoriented, just had this overwhelming experience and loud noise and the people around him don't know what's going on. They didn't understand anything that was being said or whatever. And it just, it's chaos, it's crazy. And he's so disoriented, the people have to lead him into Damascus. And they do. They take him by the hand. They, they lead him into Damascus. They put him in a place uh, on a, a street. For whatever reason, we know it's Straight Street, and it's the house of a man named Judas. They take Paul there, or Saul there, and they, they put him in the home of Judas on Straight Street. It's an interesting detail in the book of Acts. What now? What now? What happens? He's, he's had this vision, he's had this overwhelming experience, okay, so probably what comes next is some kind of an anointing, and then, and then like fame, and then he's going to go out and he's going to start preaching, he's going to do all this stuff, right, that, that's what follows from an experience like that, doesn't it? How many of you would be thinking that that's, like, of course, right, that's, that's natural, right? I just encountered Jesus, so if I just encounter Jesus, then naturally what comes next is, I got to go share what happened to me, so... Not exactly, right? That's, that's not exactly what happens. In fact, it would take several more years, several years, to set Saul up to become who we know as the Apostle Paul. And right there, I want to stop real quick, and I want you to notice, in case you lose sight of what's happening, Jesus encounters Saul. But it takes people to help Saul become the Apostle Paul. In other words, God uses you and I to help others become who they're meant to become. Don't lose sight of that 
as we work through this story. First, in our story, there's a guy by the name of Ananias. Ananias, um, we read about him in chapter 9, starting in verse 10, and I'll put it up here for you. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Notice he's a disciple. He's a believer. He's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. He's described as a disciple. He's like you and I. Alright, so think about Ananias. He's a little bit like you and I. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Okay, so that's how we meet Ananias. The interesting thing is that Ananias doesn't want anything to do with it. All right, so get that. Just let that run through. Ananias has a vision from God, all right, and he's supposed to go and he's supposed to help this Saul person out. And Ananias is like, "Uh uh-uh, no way. I know what he came for. I know what he's here for. And uh uh-uh, it's not me. Don't tap me, God, because I don't want to do it. Ever said that before to God? It's right there in Scripture. Ananias certainly did, and, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. This is what he says. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority. Not just like come here to do what he wants to do. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now why would I want to go to him? Ananias doesn't know what's happened to Saul. He just knows what God told him to do. And isn't that the hard part sometimes when God kind of tells us something that we should do and we don't know the outcome, we don't know what's happened on the other side and we get a little bit squeamish, right? We're like, I don't know if I want to go do that because I don't know what the outcome's going to be and it doesn't look like it's something that's going to be for my benefit. So like, I'm just going to stand back and and maybe I'll figure it out over time, right? We kind of like try to help God out, right? Sound a little bit like Abram? Try to... Kind of stand in the way a little bit. He's come here to arrest all who call on the name of the Lord. You know, I mentioned earlier the Olive Branch Mission. And uh, when I used to work at the Olive Branch Mission, I used to work with um, people who were years into addiction. Years on hard drugs, heroin, cocaine, crack, all of that stuff. Marijuana was mild to them drugs, alcohol, they would be a part of gangs. Many of them were were a part of gangs. And um, many of them had even more storied experiences than that. And I remember as one of my particularly naive moments where I was in a group session and um, I was looking at the arm of a young 20-something young man and his arm, if you... His sleeve rolled up and it was filled with teardrops. So I asked him, 
my naive moment, what, what are the teardrops? He didn't answer. But somebody else pulled me aside and said, those teardrops represent all the people that he's murdered to be a part of the gang that he was a part in, a part of. See, he was an enforcer for a gang. And he had to do some things that he didn't necessarily want to do, but that was a part of his life. So here I am, sitting across from a drug-addicted, probably drunk most of the time, young man who was also a serial murderer and a part of a gang. And I watched as God got a hold of his heart. God got a hold of his life and began to change him from the inside out. See, he didn't want to be in that gang anymore. He didn't want to be doing all the drugs. He didn't want to be down and out all the time. He wanted to change. And I had to confront the idea of, is there a place in the kingdom of God for him? Because in society, there's not much place for him. In our culture, there's not much place for him. He's somebody that you just want to lock up and put away and and don't really see again. But in the church, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, is there a place for him? As a church, do we have room for people like that? He was genuinely changing And I can wonder that Ananias was having a similar kind of moment with God. Saul? What's going on? You want me to go to Saul? This is what God God says to him. Go? It's probably enough, right? He could have just stopped there, right? Go! That's good. All right, God. We got you. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. What? This is Saul we're talking about, right? This is the same guy that was doing all that stuff in Jerusalem. And this is Saul, like the same guy. And then God says, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. Maybe, maybe that was the trigger for Ananias. Maybe it was like, okay, this is the same guy. Maybe it's not going to be all peaches and cream. Like, all right, we'll figure this out together. I don't know what, the, what changed Ananias' mind, but he does relent. In the moment, he, is, he decides he's going to go. He's going to do what he was supposed to do. So he went and found Saul, Scripture says, goes on in verse 17, 18, and he laid hands on him, he baptized him, and the implication according to the Scripture is that by the laying on of hands and the baptism that he also then received the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture teaches us in those moments, that he was also healed, the scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. So he was able to get up and he started to eat and he started to gain some strength. Remember what we said earlier, this is one believer to another believer. This isn't the pastor going. This isn't the prophet going. This is one believer to another. God using one of you to go to another one of you to be that agent of hope and reconciliation and change. 
goes on to say that Paul stayed there for a few days, stayed in Damascus, and he did start preaching in the synagogues. Probably, as you can imagine, sharing his testimony. That would be a profound testimony to share, would it not? Sharing his testimony. And I can only presume that the only reason he even had an open door was because of Ananias. Ananias making a way for him. Like, okay, this guy's, like, I got this vision from God. This, it's okay. Let's listen to his story. Let's listen to what he has to say. How else would the doors have been opened but for Ananias? Everyone knew that Paul was there to persecute the believers. This is what Luke says about everybody's knowledge. It says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Everybody knows who Saul is. In fact, he's so powerful and effective, he starts to offend the Jews. The Jews that just a few days before would have applauded his reason for being in Damascus. Now he's starting to offend them because he's actually preaching that Jesus is who he says he is. And uh, what do they try to do? They want to kill him. The Jews want to kill him. It reminds me, as I think about this, that your testimony will not always sit well with everyone. Testimonies that change us, testimonies of God working in our lives, they're not always going to sit well with everyone. A lot of us have this belief that if I become a Christian, like everybody's going to change around me and everybody's going to love me and I'm going to be able to share this good news. And we know that that's not our personal experience. Why would we expect it of other people's experience? It doesn't happen like that. In fact, some people actually get offended when they see you changing. Sometimes we are going to experience some persecution for believing and testifying to the truth. And I'm here to tell you this morning, don't try to please people. Don't spend time trying to please people. Just share your testimony. Share what God has done in your heart. Tell other people what God has done for you and leave it at that. Let God do the work in their hearts. Even if it means persecution for you. In fact, Paul is forced into hiding at this point and the Bible tells us one of the great escapes. If you ever want to read about it, it's in Acts chapter 9 and verses 24 and 25. It says that he had to hide and then they had to lower him in a basket through the wall just so that he could get away. That's some serious, like, they're out for blood and I don't know what I'm going to do and i got to get away. And, like, in a basket? Do I trust the basket? I don't know. Like, who, who knows what's going on, right? That's an interesting story in Scripture. Paul makes an escape. Where does he go? He goes back to Jerusalem. So first we have Ananias. We have Saul being converted. Then we have... We have Ananias helping him in that particular area. Probably involved in saving his life. But as he heads back to Jerusalem, imagine what's going through Saul's mind now. I'm on my way back to Jerusalem and uh, I just had this experience, this near-death experience in, in in Damascus. Yeah, And so once he arrives in Jerusalem, he tries to meet with some believers. Imagine somebody like happened to me on Thursday. Somebody I don't know knocking on our door outside. They knock on the door and they say, I'm here, I just need a place to pray. 
I don't know this person. There were a couple other people in the building, and we were like, oh, what do we do, right? It was kind of one of those moments. Like, I'm, I'm preparing this message, and here somebody shows up at our door, right? That, is God working, right? He's working in our hearts. And this, but this guy, he's, he's, he's an alcoholic. He's, he self-declared. He's, I'm an alcoholic. I've just been through rehab. I'm with a sponsor. My sponsor wants me to find a place to just pray for a few minutes. Like, great. Come on in. Let him have the conference room. He's here for about a half an hour. And as he's getting ready to leave, we talk. And he's like, hey, do you, uh, do you bless people? You know, like, well, I'll pray for you. Like, yeah, like, I, I certainly would love to. And so we talked for a few minutes here about his story. Young man, young man, two kids, wife, struggling because of drugs and alcohol, school teacher. Seemingly normal guy just showed up out of the blue. Beautiful thing, isn't it? Saul tries to find a group of believers. He's so excited to share about his conversion. And what does he get? No way. No way. You're Saul. You don't know. Uh, we know who you are. We know what you've been doing in our area and what you went to Damascus. And no way. You are not welcome here. That's what he gets when he goes back to Jerusalem. You can read about it. He doesn't go to the apostles. He, doesn't, he just goes to fellow believers. People who he needs to support him and to hear this good news. See, when he came to Jerusalem, he says this, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. All afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. And then, this is where we meet Barnabas. Oh, but for Barnabas. Where would the church today, where would you and I be today, but for Barnabas? We first meet Barnabas a little bit earlier, back in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 7. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is on the heels of this Pentecost experience. Barnabas is one of these converts, one of these believers, and he's, he's so caught up in what's happened with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that he does what everybody else is doing, all the believers are doing at that point in time. And he, he sells. He was probably born in Cyprus. It's an island. He was probably reasonably wealthy. He had a tract of land. And that tract of land by itself made him wealthy. But he decides to sell that and to bring the money and lay it at the apostles' feet. A little bit later in Acts chapter 11, we hear this about him. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas was not one of the original apostles, but he's a strong, committed believer, recognized by the community for his faith and his approach to ministry. You might be thinking of some people right now within our church who might sound a little bit like that. It's likely that he's heard, all right, the word has gone before Saul here. It's likely that he's heard about what's happened in Damascus. He, he goes and he grabs Saul and he probably spends a little bit of time with him and he hears his story and he takes him to the apostles and then he tells the apostles of Saul's conversion story. See what he's doing? He's acting sort of as an intermediary. He's acting as somebody who took the risk, took the chance to learn the story of this person. 
Can you imagine the apostles' minds and how they're blown a little bit? This is Saul, right? We're talking about Saul. But they allow him, based upon Barnabas' word, they allow him to stay among them, preaching the good news. They go around Jerusalem and they let Saul accompany them. And that is until Saul picks a fight. Saul picks a fight with some of the Greek-speaking Jews in the area and he tries to debate them. And what do they want to do? It's crazy how many times people want to kill each other in the Bible. Like, that's what it says. They were so angry, they wanted to kill him. So now he wants to be killed by the Jews in Damascus. Now he also wants to be killed by the Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem. Like, it's crazy. This Bible that we read all the time, like, there's a lot of killing and death and all kinds of stuff in it. They want to kill him. So the apostles send Saul back. I'm just going to make the story a little shorter. They send him back to Tarsus. That's his hometown. And he stays there for like seven years. Seven or eight years. It's somewhere in that time. Saul's had this, member great conversion experience. He's on fire. He wants to tell his story. He wants to tell the world what's happened to him. And he's forced into hiding in his own town for seven or eight years. Remember Abram? Abram was forced to wait. Wait until just the right time. Hopefully waiting patiently until God moves us into the promise. See, waiting is often a part of God's plan and it's something that we need to take ownership of. It's not up to us. When we follow God, when we give our lives to God, when we sacrifice ourselves to God, we also sacrifice to His timeline. We sacrifice to His ways, to His journey, and all that's involved in that. So Saul's waiting. Again, to speed up the story, at the end of chapter 11, we read how the church sent Barnabas now to encourage the growing movement in a city in Antioch. He recognized, Barnabas did, the evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. But what does he do next? So Barnabas is sent kind of to hear about what's unfolding in Antioch. What does he do next? He goes over to Antioch to Tarsus. This is some seven or eight years later. He goes over and he grabs Saul because what does Barnabas remember? Barnabas remembers Saul's conversion. He remembers the story. He remembers what God had called Barnabas to do or called Saul to do. So he goes and he gets him. He brings him back and the two of them spend a year in Antioch. The two of them are ministering to the people in Antioch and they're there for about a year and the scripture tells us that Antioch is the place that the believers, the way, was first. they were first called Christians. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Barnabas and Saul ministering to this unfolding. And it wasn't just the Jews. Why did, why did Barnabas go get Saul? Because they started telling this news to the Gentiles. Not just to the Jews. They, and Saul's, or Paul's, or Barnabas is like, Saul should be here for this. So he goes and he gets them. The two together gain trust among the believers. They end up taking a donation to Jerusalem. And that's a huge turn of events, right? Uh, From Saul not being trusted to now they're giving him the donations to take to Jerusalem with Barnabas. There's been a change. Sometimes we wait because God's got to change other circumstances and other people's hearts. At the end of 
chapter 12, Luke tells us that the pair returned to Antioch. And in the first part of chapter 13, we read five names who are leaders of the church at Antioch. Barnabas and Saul were two of those five, and the Lord sets them apart for the work of evangelism. And I'll stop there with the story. Let's just bring this to a close today. Barnabas and Ananias were people that paved the way for the converted Saul to find his voice to find his connection to his new tribe, this tribe of believers. And he opened, they opened the door for him to become the missionary to the Gentiles, eventually to become the person that we know today as the Apostle Paul. See, if waiting is often a part of God's plan, I think that welcoming is always a part of God's plan. One of the hardest things that we do in the church is to accept new believers. It shouldn't be like that, but sadly it is. Especially when they come to us without having, we weren't part of their conversion story or their conversion journey. Because what do we do? Probably the early church, the the believers there, they're they're filled with fear. Who is this person? What are their motives? What's going on? And in some ways, sometimes we want them to experience some of the hardships and the, and the struggles that we've gone through. I mean, you, you're converted and you're ready to do that. Like we, and we start to like layer on them these expectations. It's really, really difficult. Sometimes we just don't even trust their authenticity. Sometimes we've been burned by those who profess a faith, right? Sometimes we've been burned and we don't want to like open ourselves up again because to be vulnerable again means I could be hurt again and and we don't want to do that. Sometimes we just don't recognize that ministry is really messy. It's not clean. It doesn't fit into our schedules. Right? It just it's not something that I can or like okay, show up at two o'clock at, outside the door, right? Show up at two o'clock because I'm ready for you. Nope. That's just not how it happens. God brings people at really inconvenient times. But we have to be ready to respond. You see, to move beyond acquaintance, to move beyond just knowing somebody's name, hi, how are you, and and all that sort of thing takes an investment. We must extend the hand of friendship to the stranger, to the newcomer, to the person wanting to be part of a community that we belong to. We definitely need more Ananiases and Barnabases in the church. Skip Heitzig, he he wrote a blog and uh, he says about Barnabas uh, that he represented uh, the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22, where it's talking about one body and many parts. He says, the lesser parts of the body are not less important, but equally vital to make the body, the whole body, work. What's he saying there? Sometimes the most important person in a group of people is not the person who stands up front, and I could testify to that, but it's the person who's out front, out there, extending that hand of friendship, giving that warm smile, that hug, that welcome, to, to let somebody know that this is a place that they belong. That person's not any less than the person or anybody standing here or leading or whatever. It takes all of us together to be one body working together. The very gifts that you offer in those ways will be the gifts that complete this body. Today I want to go back to Jesus' words. 
We've talked about them already. He says, I have called you friends. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I want you to remember as you read these words that friendship always starts somewhere. Always starts somewhere. How did those disciples that he's talking to there become friends of Jesus? Because he called them. Literally away from their existing lives to have a time where they could be in relationship with him. To follow him. To become his disciple. And I want you to remember that Jesus initiates the call for all of us. Maybe we can't remember a time that we weren't in the church. But remember, Jesus initiated that call for each and every one of us. You could have been really little. You could have been older. doesn't really matter. Jesus was the one that initiated that call. And he wants all of us who have been called and initiated to roll out the red carpet for the others that he will call. Can I get an amen to that? As believers in Christ, let's intentionally move from acquaintance to friendship. Acquaintance to friendship. It's going to take some effort to welcome those who are new to the faith and to allow them to grow in their gifts and their graces. Friendship is going to be required. Much like Jesus offered to us, even before we were fully ready for it, He put a lot of trust in us. So let's work as a community, community of believers, to get beyond acquaintances. Let's work as a community to invite people into our story and to get to know their story. Because many of us here today have shared experiences that to somebody new might feel a little bit too alienating. We've got to bridge that gap. Invite them in. Make them more known and aware. When there are things that people don't know, and they're trying to fit in to become a part of things, we have to go out of our way to make them feel welcome. So as believers, let's work to allow God to help us pave the way for others. We're going to take some time right now. The worship team will come and prepare to lead us in a closing song. And I'd love to just create some space for you to respond. How is the Spirit speaking to you today? I will be up here. You can come up if you would like prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team as well to come up and be on either side. If you would like prayer this morning, maybe the Lord has stirred your heart or your mind and you just need prayer. We're going to be up here in these little spaces up here. There's offering baskets on our altars. You can bring an offering or make a gift if the Lord's stirring you in that way. There's cards in the back of your seat. And on those cards are ways that you can connect with us. Tell us if you're visiting today, we would love to know who you are so that we can reach out and extend that hand of welcome to you. But there's also space on there for you to write. Maybe it's a a prayer request or something that's stirring in your heart. And we would love, you heard, there's a team of people that meets weekly, Sunday nights, Tuesday nights, and we're praying. We're praying. So however the Lord is moving on your heart right now, make sure you take some time to respond. I'll be up here, prayer team, Dr. Thomas, Linda, whoever else is here from our prayer team, they'll be over here as well. And let's just spend some time in response, then we'll have one closing song, and then we'll be done. Amen.